the Team Performance Podcast with Spencer Horn and Christian Napier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Team Performance Winning Ways for Uncertain Times podcast. I'm Christian Napier, joined as always by the gentleman in royal purple, the illustrious and unparalleled Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you? I am great, Christian. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And I just have to say, judging by your posts on social media, you have been very busy traveling all over the United States. Why don't you tell everybody what it is you've been doing? Well, I don't know about all over the United States, but on, on Monday morning, early, you know, it took me, it takes you all day sometimes when you got to get to the East Coast. So uh, I flew to Charleston, South Carolina. And, you know, when you, when you give presentations and, and training, it, it's, it's an all day affair. And I, I think I left my house at, quarter to six in the morning and got to bed at, at midnight. Cause you know, you got to prepare, of course that's East coast time, but, um, up early and, and setting up and uh, to do a live presentation for the first time outside of town. I did my first live presentation in town two weeks ago. And, um, so I had to do a hybrid. This was, this was really interesting. It, it, these are interesting times. I've never had to do this before. So I am doing a live presentation, Christian, for, you know, it's a, it's a small group, these are executives. And so we're talking uh, 12 people in person and they're all socially distanced. And then an additional four people online. And so if you can imagine that as a presenter, you know, typically you, you've got your slides and you're, you're talking and you're, you know, this is a three hour workshop. So it's not just a keynote, there's information, there's activities, there's breakout sessions. And, uh, and so how do you keep the people online? You know, I've got to have cameras and microphones so that they can hear and they can, and if I'm showing multimedia, which I was, how do you do it so that the people online can hear and the people, I, I had to have two videos going at once, two laptops, because one piped through to the people who were remote. And then the other one. And so I had to start things simultaneously <laughs> and I had to move the mic, the camera around when people were, were talking so that they could see and, and move the microphone. It was quite a, it's like you're a producer. So not only do you have to be a trainer, you have to be a producer. You gotta, you have to know your technology. You gotta be able to troubleshoot. So I've had to learn a lot of new skills. And then after I gave that presentation, I had to quickly eat, take all my equipment, set it up in a, in a conference room. And I had literally five minutes to spare before I got on as a uh, keynote speaker for an all day conference. We had 107 people online and I was the, the keynote speaker uh, towards the end of the day. They had to accommodate my schedule because I was out of town. So, so this was a keynote given from Charleston to Grand Rapids, Michigan, which technology allows us to do so cool. And then I, I got home by 11 o'clock last night and I had a 7 a.m. workshop this morning in Syracuse, New York for two hours. And now I'm talking to you. Wow, it's incredible. Lots to unpack there. First question I have for you, how is the new airport in Salt Lake? I haven't hmm. been there since uh, it's opened up, so I'm curious. Amazing. It's beautiful. They've already destroyed most of the old terminal, and which has been there for decades. and. You know, forever, it seems like in my life, not forever, but forever, relatively speaking for me. 
but the new terminal is absolutely gorgeous. And, um, there is a, a, a waiting area. You know how we have a lot of missionaries that go and it's a big thing here in Salt Lake city because we have young men and women who go all around the world and they come home and their families see them after 18 months to two years. And they always uh, are waiting at the bottom of an escalator where people are coming out and they have signs welcoming people home. And a lot of people do that in the military, right? They have this beautiful, it's called greeting room, right where people come out of the terminal. And it's this big, beautiful area where people and families can wait and hold signs. It's just, it's gorgeous. Well, it sounds amazing. I hope to be able to check it out sometime if we're ever allowed to fly again internationally. I you know, it's it, airports were were busy, man. I I was in Atlanta airport and it was it was busy. Now I I fly on Delta like you do, and Delta's done a great job because what they they keep that that middle seat open, and so they they've done their best to to you know I've flown on American and they just pack you in there, but Delta has has really taken a lot of care to keep people uh, as safe as possible. Well, that's so, good to hear. Good to hear. Yeah. As a Delta frequent flyer, I'm glad to hear that the airline's taking care of us. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you fly like millions of miles, not just frequent. Yeah. Not anymore. Used to be a lot more, but uh, but these days it's been been a lot slower. Actually, I'd say the last uh, three, four years, I've taken it a lot easier and not try to do too much travel, try to achieve a little bit more work-life balance, you know. The only interesting thing that I think I had, well, I guess there are two interesting things. Number one, we had a tree chop down this morning and I was hoping that he would get it done before our podcast started. <laughs> and he did. So I was uh, breathing a sigh of relief. We had, a, <laughs> we had a big aspen out in the front yard that had become infected with a bug or something and it died. And so we had to get that removed. And the other is I've, you know, as you've seen in the last couple of days of launching this crazy little venture of mine, trying to capture life yeah. people. And it's been a lot of fun. I, I, I think you need to talk about that because it's really cool. I mean, we, you know, I think you and I have talked a lot about storytelling. I don't know if we've actually talked about it on here, but I mean, I think what you're doing is amazing to be able to help people capture the stories of their, of their lives. And why, why is this, why is this interesting to you? I mean, what, I mean, cause you, you know, you have this, th this ability to, to help people tell their stories, but. Well, that's what a good it's a good, good question. I've been doing this from a corporate perspective for several years, primarily with the International Olympic Committee, and I really enjoy it, which led me to launch a podcast to look back at the Salt Lake 2002 games. And also we do this podcast and these are all forms of storytelling and I've really enjoyed them. I had a guest on my Salt Lake 2002 podcast who asked me if I would interview his mother-in-law and help capture her life story, help document it. I said, okay, we're actually in the process of doing that now. And I've had a couple of other people who have said, Hey, you know, we've, we want to do this. We want to record our life stories. Can you help us? I said, okay. And I have found that it's immensely enjoyable to do. The stories are really interesting. The people are fascinating and people have not done it so much in the past because it's hard you know, it's hard to sit down and write your story. You know, you're always thinking about how I'm going to say things or this or that or the other. Or it's really, really expensive to have a 
ghostwriter, you know, <laughs> kind of create your biography. And so I, I thought, well, you know, this kind of podcast style conversational format is really easy to capture stories very quickly. And from that, you know, all you do is just have a conversation. You just talk to people, you happen to record it, then you transcribe the recordings, you put them together in interesting ways into little kinds of vignettes or chapters, and then present that along with some photos. If they want to share some photos, they can upload some photos to you, send you some photos. And you put it on a, on a very personalized website where, you know, they can access all that information. They can access the audio recordings. They can read the transcripts online. All of the transcripts can are combined into a single volume, which can then be downloaded and even printed and bound if somebody wanted to do that. And, uh, and it's just great fun. So I'm like, what, why a, what a great this? service, you know, it, it's, it, it's, a, this is a way for people to connect with, their, their families, their, their future descendants. And, you know, we, we lose these stories and we, it's interesting how, um, you know, we, sometimes we're, we're just living in this life thinking we're the only ones that are going through these challenges. And when you really stop and listen to the stories of people who have come before, there's really nothing new under the sun. Right. And, and you can learn so much from their experience that is instructive. And I think it's one of the things that I think you're really good at is, is gleaning out lessons from all these stories that you hear, but stories are a way that you can, you can connect with things and ideas and concepts much better than with just facts. And interestingly, uh, you know, for relatives who may even be close relatives, I know I, when I interviewed my uncle, my mother was there in the room. Uh, we did it in person and uh, he was telling stories. And my mom was like, I never knew that happened, you know? <laughs> and, you know, my uncle's 81, my mother is 77. And to go through an entire life and realize, you know what? I didn't know that about my brother uh, after all these years. And it's really great for the posterity to be able to actually create a link, you know, and, and connect with their heritage in, in some way. So it's been, it's been really enjoyable. And, and I hope that uh, people will, will want to take advantage of it because we can now do it in a very easy way and it's cost effective. That's so cool. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited you're doing that. Uh, I, I just have one story before we get started. Do it. One of the things that I did since we last spoke is I went camping for the first time with Jana, my wife. Oh, that's right. You were going up to the Uintas, right? Yeah. So the Uintas, uh, for those of you who don't know, they're, a, they're a mountain range. It's a beautiful area and it's in the state of Utah in the United States. It's one of the few mountain ranges that runs East West, but it's a huge area, hundreds of square miles of primitive area that, that you can go back in and get lost and, and rarely see people. You know, you and I have talked about going up there and fishing, but, um, so Jan and I went up and all the campgrounds are closed for the season. So we, we didn't know that we were just going to, we we're going to go get a campground because, you know, the website said first come first serve, but they're all closed. So we found a place on the side of the road that we, uh, luckily I have all wheel drive and I, you know, went in there and it was pretty sketchy. I'm scraping the bottom and we found this great place by a river. It was, and we heard elk bugling, you know, that calling the elk calling and, um, we, ha we cooked Dutch oven 
meals and we got this new Dutch oven where we could actually cook our own pizza. And uh, it was great. We made our own pizza in, in the fire with coals and, and it was delicious. And then we went hiking. My wife, I'm so proud of her, we went four miles up into this beautiful area where these lakes were. It's just, it's amazing. You're up at 10,000 feet, you know, and so the air is thin and, and, uh, and clear. It's just beautiful. It was about 30 degrees. So probably what, between two and three Celsius. Well, 30 degrees would actually be uh, zero or minus one. It would be minus one uh, Celsius. Well, it was not quite freezing. So 30, maybe 35, 36. Yeah, that would be one, two. Yeah. Yeah. So it was cold, but we were, we were cozy. We had made this great little bed thing. I, I, I took a heater. We didn't even use the heater, but, uh, you know, just, we just had fun. We were up there playing cards and telling stories and sitting by the fire and eating food and hiking. It was, uh, we, we haven't been alone for camping for 34 years. Wow. That's incredible. While, while you were having Dutch oven pizza, I had Costco pizza. <laughs> which I like a lot. So. It's good pizza. It's great pizza and it's a great value. You get a huge pizza for $9.95. Yeah, 10 bucks. Less than well, all right, let's get down to business. Let's get down to brass tacks. Okay. We talked about in the last couple of episodes, analyzing and fixing diagnosing, fixing performance problems in your team. Yeah. And on one earlier episode, we talked about some fast fixes that could be applied. And then our last episode, we talked about managing consequences, but we didn't, we didn't get all the way through this discussion because no. we realized that there could be uh, negative consequences for positive behavior or no consequences for any kind of behavior. There can also be positive consequences for negative behavior. And I know that's a, that's an area we wanted to kind of dive into a little bit more Spencer. So I'm really eager to hear what you have to say when you are working with organizations, clients who have a, have systems in place that inadvertently reward negative behavior through positive consequences. Well, you know, that's, that's an interesting question. And I, and I'm going to have to think about that for a moment because we don't always script this, but I, you know, I, I've, every time we get on here, I have a, a, an experience because I'm talking to people and executives every day. And so I'll give you just an experience I had this morning with the, with the company that I was doing a workshop for, we were doing a communication survey and there were, I think three people that out of 25 that hadn't completed their, their survey. When I talked to the executive director, he's like, yeah, it's the same, you know, it's always the same old people. And I said, well, we need to have a conversation about that because it's having an impact on the rest of the team. If they're not following through or uh, being to meetings on time, if you're not addressing it in a way that's, that's giving a positive consequence. People are allowed to behave in ways that, that are not supportive to the team or potentially destructive to the team. And you're actually giving them positive reinforcement by, by, by not doing anything. So they're, they're, they're assuming that it's okay. I can, I can pretty much do what I want. I, I know that's not exactly what you were saying, but that's, that's an example from just this morning. And it's happening because leaders aren't addressing bad behavior. And so it's allowed to continue. 
Let me, let me ask a question there, Spencer. Yeah. Why aren't they addressing it? Is it because they don't know how, or is it because they're afraid uh, that, well, if I address this bad behavior, I might be alienating a star performer and then inadvertently impacting the performance of my business or yes. some other reason you, what's the, what are the causes of this lack of action that you're seeing uh, with your clients? So it's, it's a number of things. Sometimes people are, are too busy. And in, in this case, the executive director is not the person that these people directly report to. So it's, it's where the middle management doesn't necessarily know how to do it. A lot of middle management is just, they're, they're just learning how to lead. And so they're not having one-to-ones. They're not, uh, they're not holding people uh, accountable. And so one of the things I do is I'm coaching the executive on how to coach their people. And with this, with this same organization, uh, after our, our podcast today, I'm actually having a coaching call with him and we'll be talking about it. But in previous calls, we were, we're talking about another manager or direct report of his, that's not holding one of his people accountable. And it's interesting. I think what happens, Christian, sometimes is we just don't understand how our traits get in the way. And I'll give you an example. So he's coaching his direct report on how to, he has one employee that's taking advantage of him. And, and this manager is favoring this employee. And that's a positive uh, reinforcement for bad behavior. So this, this employee calls in all the time for time off more than she's allowed. And he gives in. So that's a positive reinforcement for, for bad behavior. Like you're asking, right? And so I've been coaching this executive on how to coach his direct report. And he's in, and his direct report is starting to hold this other person accountable so much so that that employee actually called the executive director. Now she is calling the executive director directly. And he, by not putting that, shutting that down and saying, you need to, you know, she's coming to him saying, can I do this? Or, you know, would it be okay? He gives in. He does exactly what he told his direct report not to do because of his personality. And he's just unaware that he likes to be liked. He doesn't want to be the heavy or the bad guy. And that's just one personality. And so some people are conflict avoidant. They don't want to have a difficult conversation. So they procrastinate longer than they should. Uh, but in this case, it, it's a matter of wanting to be liked. And and so instead of saying, hey, you need to have that conversation with your with your manager, I'm not going to make that decision. Or the answer is no. And if you have any further, you need to go you need to go talk to, to them. Um, and he realized his mistake after it happened. But it just in the moment under pressure, Christian, people go blank. They forget. They just they go through their natural behavior. It's unconscious. And so they perpetuate bad behavior without really know they're, knowing they're doing it. And it happens all the time. I think, the time. Yeah, I think you just said something there that was really, really important, I think, which is you may have a game plan, and then when you get under pressure, it may all go out the window. Like, yeah. uh, and you just kind of revert to these natural behaviors. And you've got to find ways to learn how to recognize that that's happening and take corrective action you have talked about this in previous podcasts, yeah. but uh, maybe you can just kind of reinforce again, this message that, you know, it's so important to learn the skills that you need to be self-aware, to recognize I'm under pressure. This is how I'm reacting. I need to make a correction. 
And, you know, it's interesting that, that, you know, you notice that here's the executive director at the top of the organization feeling pressure from a person two levels down. And it's not that, that, you know, that this person is controlling the manager. It's just that they are having needs and this person wants to be liked and want, they want to care for their, for their employees and, and be liked by their employees. They want engagement. And so that's the form of the pressure, right? Yeah. Is, is, and it's not like, Oh my gosh, you know, she's asking me to do things. What am I going to do? What's it's not about that. It's just like, I want to be this good boss. That's the pressure. And in another situation, I was talking to a group of CEOs in Madison, Wisconsin, and this one CEO had a, a salesperson that was very uh, challenging to the culture, was not, was not performing at levels that were expected. And whenever this CEO would address it, the, the person would get argumentative or, or challenging. And so he was really struggling holding them accountable. So first of all, you have to recognize that you're not holding people accountable the proper way. What you're doing is not getting results. There's a saying, Christian, um, see if you can decipher what this means. The meaning of communication is the response that you get. The meaning of communication is the response that you get. Yes. So... I would interpret that as being um, it's not about what you say. It's about what other people think about what you say. How they respond. I, I knew yeah. you're just a brilliant mind, Christian. So it took me a lot longer to figure that out than you. I like, I had to, you know, figure that out, but you're right. You figured it out. Exactly. So if you're, if your communication or your behavior and how you treat your people is not getting the right response, you got to look at how you're communicating because if you're getting the wrong response, how you're communicating is the problem. So this CEO was, was, was not communicating in a way that was helping this person see their, their, the, the behavior that needed to change. And so going into that pressure situation to avoid going into our natural patterns that enforce, uh, excuse me, reinforce the bad behavior by not uh, uh, giving consequences for bad behavior requires practice, requires changing your communication and your behavior. So the way to do that is actually to role play, to practice. You want to, you want to change your behavior and change the results and start holding people accountable. Then, then you need to change your behavior and practice doing that so that when you're in that moment, the pressure doesn't cause you to go back to what you do unconsciously you now have created new, you know, kind of muscle memory, if you will, to, to behave in a different way. So what I did with them is um, I asked that employee, first of all, I wanted to model how you could handle it. I said, I want you to act like that employee acts to you when you talk to them. And I did the conversation so that they could see how you can stop that bad behavior. And I'm going to share with you a couple of things that, that you can do to help people change their behavior if that's okay. Absolutely. I look forward to hearing it. Before you start sharing though, Spencer, I have a comment and I, and I, I don't want to make this political at okay. all. Because what do you want to, what do you a, want to do? I don't think this is a political thing, but here in the state of Utah, as you know, they yesterday announced a, a revised approach to COVID here in the state. And 
Last week on Thursday, the governor and people, they had their regular weekly press conference and Q&A. And you've got these healthcare professionals who are, are pleading, you know, in tears, very emotional that, you know, we need to do the small things. We have to wear the mask. We have to socially distance and so on and so forth. And, and the governor, he didn't come across as well as he probably could have. And I remember making the comment to my wife the next day when we were going for a walk, I said, I, I like the governor. Um, but I think he needs to have confidence and rely on the people he's employing in his staff to help him craft the message and communicate more effectively. Yeah. He's there. There are PR professionals. He's got speech writers. You, you know that that uh, uh, an executive uh, of a state has these resources at his disposal. And I said, what he needs to do is he needs to have his communications people craft the message. And then he's got to stick to the script and read it. And that's what he did yesterday. You know, he actually, you could tell he was looking at his teleprompter right in front of the screen the entire time and he was reading it. And I thought he was more effective. And when it comes to corporate executives, I think they need to do the same thing. They Sometimes do they do think the I'm the top dog. I got to be the man. So I just got to do this. Well, you know what? You have staff and they can help you. You have coaches like you, resources that are available. They can help you. You know, why do you, trust, why do you think, it? Christian, why do you think CEOs or executives just go into that situation to and, and just wing it? It's a really, really good question. Um, I think part of it is is they're used to being the ultimate authority and having the final say and and they make the big decision. And so I'm going to rely on myself as a person who's worked on several Olympic bids and had to write speeches or train people. And I'm talking about politicians like um, in, you know, foreign minister. So minister of uh, the, of, econ, uh, of the, you know, the, the finance minister of finance or the minister of sport or whoever it is, you know, to give presentations to the IOC. I would go in there. We would have uh, speaker coaches, professional coaches that would come in and train them on how to, use the teleprompter and read the scripts and sim. but there are times where you get people that just didn't want to follow the script and they would go off and invariably they look stupid. They get lost. They start talking about stuff that doesn't really matter. And the message gets lost and everything. And I think, you know, people just need to learn to trust, to trust their team, to help them. It's interesting. So we're going a little different direction, but I think this is great. I wrote an article, uh, gosh, it's been a while. This was five years ago and it's called cure for the CEO disease. And basically it says here, do you know a CEO or top executive that is unaware of the impact or overestimates their abilities? Leaders who are out of touch with the truth, about how they show up is all too common. This phenomenon is what Daniel Goleman, who is kind of the, the founder of this, uh, father of this emotional intelligence movement is, he says the higher up the ladder a leader climbs, 
the less accurate his self-assessment is likely to be. The problem is, is, is as the leader climbs the organization, the less feedback he or she receives, according to James Conway and Alan Huffcutt, who analyzed 177 separate studies that assessed more than 28,000 managers. They found that these managers were not receiving consistent feedback on their performance. The lack of feedback problem is reported to be more acute for leaders who are women or belong to a minority. For whatever reason, the higher up you go in an organization, the less feedback you go you get for your your performance and your behavior. And a lot of times as leaders, we're, we're, I'm the governor of the state. I was elected. So therefore, you know, we think we have um, the, the mandate to be who we are, right? There's an authenticity component where I just need to be who I am. What's gotten me here. You know, I know president Trump here, he has this authenticity uh, where he's the, he's the tough talking, you know, this is who I am. And he veers from the script a lot of the time and it gets him into trouble because it's a pride, right? Or it's it's this desire that I have to be who I am. And that is a thinking that gets you into trouble as a leader a lot. And sometimes we just go into these these meetings thinking, I'm just going to be who I am and I'm going to trust my intuition. And that can get us into trouble. A lot of times the intuition is, is right and good, but many times it causes us to not be prepared and perpetuate the problem. And that's what we're talking about. And so a lot of speakers like me, when they go out and speak, they think I need to be authentic and just shoot from the hip. That's your worst enemy. You have to prepare over and over and over. And people who are performers, they will tell you that the work is always in the rehearsal. The performance then gets to be the enjoyment. If you are prepared, you've received feedback, you've prepared for the difficult conversations. Think about preparing for a, a, you know, a presidential debate. You actually have to prepare for the questions you're going to get or what they might possibly say to you so that you're not caught off guard and you can be clear minded in the moment. The same is true of your employees. If you're prepared in that moment, you will be able to say and do the things that will create the appropriate rewards or punishment for the behavior. But it's going to take you sticking to the script and practicing that. And when you do that, you can actually be more present in the moment. When I give a a, a keynote, I don't want to be thinking about what I'm saying. I want to be able to react to the audience. But if I'm not prepared, I'm thinking about what I'm saying. And I'm not aware of how I'm impacting the people I'm talking to. And that's what happens to a lot of political leaders is they're up there and they're, you know, they're not necessarily saying things that they're comfortable with because they haven't memorized it. And so they're not, they're not noticing the response. They're unaware. Well, and the reason, you know, to bring this very large tangent back, you know, the reason I, I, I bring it up is, is because of what you said, well, under pressure, we revert to the norm or the, you know, what we, what we natural style. Yeah. Right. And it's important for executives to be a bit humble and, and realize, oh, I, I, okay, I need some help here. So 
let me get some help, whether it's from you or from, you know, people on their team or, or whatever to, to help solve the, the performance problem and help manage those, those negative consequences. So that when you do have to have the difficult conversation, you're prepared and you're not trying to wing it because like you say, when you wing it, then you just, you just fall right back into character. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I, I just remembered that article I wrote, but you know, so I give some suggestions on how to, how to cure that CEO disease of, um, behaving in those ways. Like the, the governor, uh, obviously he did the, he did the right thing this time. So I, I missed that. What did they decide? Oh, well, they went to a three level thing, a high, moderate, low uh, kind of thing. It's kind of complicated, but, uh, um, basically if you're in the high, I mean, everybody should be wearing masks. And if you're in the high category, then there's a, well, I guess for all of the, the, the levels, but uh, there's a big emphasis on the informal social gathering because this has contributed a lot to the spread of the COVID disease. People just getting together, family, friends, having, uh, you know, some kind of gathering or whatever. So what it means is if you're in a county that's designated as high, you cannot have an informal gathering of more than 10 people. So that's what it means. Now, for for quote unquote public gatherings, meaning things like uh, sporting events and and uh, movie theaters and church and, and those kind of things, they're still permitted. And you can have more people. You just have to adhere to social distancing and masking guidelines. So, so that's okay. But the informal family, friends, barbecue out back, if you're going to have a party with 70 people, nope, not happening. So it's, uh, it's 10 people. That's the, that's the max. That's probably the biggest, uh, the biggest change from, Okay. Um, All right. Oh, well, good to know. I missed that. I was traveling. So, so let's get back to the, uh, how, how do we get people to actually change their, their behavior? If we need them instead of rewarding bad behavior, how do we start to hold them accountable? That's a really good question. I think from, from, a you tell me, cause you're the, you're the, you're the executive <laughs> whisperer. Um, uh, but, but I think that, I think that um, what we've just talked about, which is being prepared, uh, under, you know, recognizing that there's a problem, that we are rewarding bad behavior and then confronting it and being prepared to do so uh, is probably the most critical thing. And I would probably say, and Spencer, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I would probably say that a, a great motivating factor for doing that is for executives to understand what is the consequence of doing nothing? You know, if I just let this go, then what happens? And, you know, from a, from a leadership perspective, you know, one of the consequences could be, I mean, the drastic consequence could be the downfall of the business, but oftentimes what happens if, if, uh, if executives let this bad behavior slide or they do things that actually encourage the bad behavior, then they lose credibility in the organization and then their ability to lead diminishes. Is that what you see when you, when you work with clients? Absolutely. And I think I talked about this last session is that when you don't address inequities, then, then people are like, well, how come they're allowed to behave badly? I think I talked about that with this gal from Russia who is a CPA 
and she feels like she's doing all the right things and, and not getting a positive reward for that. And so people will, will look at, are you consistent in how you apply the values of the organization? And if you're not, then they're like, well, why do I try so hard? Why am I giving all this extra effort if I'm not going to be rewarded for my things? Or if somebody is going to be rewarded for doing whatever they want, well, I'll just start doing whatever I want too. And now you have a culture that is, that is no longer in your control. One of the things that we talked about a little bit on previous podcasts too, that maybe we want to expand upon, maybe we should get Teresa back for this. I don't know, but, yeah. uh, but it has to do with the compensation. You know, sometimes uh, people are rewarded for bad behavior because the company is, is, um, is uh, looking at the wrong metrics of performance. You know, they, yeah. so we, you know, I shared this, this example of, of someone who was getting bonuses based on sales that were calculated at gross margin rather than the profit yeah, or the right. net, uh, of the sales. Um, I don't know how, if you, have you seen that in organizations where oh, oh, absolutely. The, uh, because the, the compensation and benefit structures are just messed up because people are measuring the wrong things? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've, I've experienced it personally. You know, we had uh, people will discount the price just to, to sell it, and, and they're getting the commission based on the total sale. But the company is is now making uh, breaking even or or nothing. In some cases, even losing money. But they're uh, you know they're rewarding people for for top sales because they're they they can't sell the product for for what it's worth. They can only they can only discount and. Uh, and, and that happens all the time because some people are, you know, salespeople are rewarded for the sales that they make. And, and so there's, uh, there, there's, there's incentives that are not always, um, some of them are perverse, right? They, they don't, they don't incentivize the right behavior. And it's hard with sales because you want people to be money motivated and hard driving. But at the same time, you want them to be doing the right behaviors. And so there needs to be some team uh, component in there. How does it impact the team? And the team can be the, the rest of the company and, 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 you know, there should be rewards for some team behaviors. Which is tricky, right? Because then sometimes you get potentially caught in a situation as an individual where you're looking at the compensation and you're realizing there are some things here that are not completely in my control and it's not fair that I end up getting, you know, quote unquote punished because one of my peers is not performing. That's like the, it's like the, the school assignment that you have to do as a, as a group, right? There's always those people on the, that, that, that don't show up or don't do their part in the, and the whole group is punished because a couple don't, don't do, don't pull their weight. Well, that's, because you have a culture that does not hold people accountable where you trust each other and rely on each other. And that takes work to get to. But if you're just focused on individual performance, um, you know, you have that environment that's highly productive, but low positive, right? And that's not sustainable either. So we want to get to an environment that's high productive and high positive. It's hard to get to. If you had to leave our listeners with one 
message, one key message about managing consequences and specifically not rewarding negative behavior, what would, what would that message be, Spencer? The message is um, don't solve all the problems yourself. Part of the problem that managers have is that they're overwhelmed. And so we feel like that we're not addressing the problems because we're overwhelmed with everything that we have to do. We don't know how to do it. And understand that people are, are different than you. And so if you can have a methodology, which is quite simple, to help people start to solve their own problems, their own behavioral problems, would that make your life a little easier? I mean, if, if I come to you, Christian, say, um, this is how you're messing up. Here's the consequence. Here's the, you know, here's the consequence to the business. Here's the impact to your career. So I'm letting you know all the impacts that your behavior is doing so that you're aware that there's a problem. And then I say, and here's what you're going to do to fix it. That's what a lot of people think holding people accountable is. That's not the right way to go about it. The problem that, that we have with a lot of managers is they don't have the time to actually help people solve their own problems because it takes a different approach than just saying, I'm holding you accountable. You need to change your behavior or else. That's not what we're talking about. What I want people to take away is we as managers need to stop doing our people's work so that we actually have time to listen and help coach them to change their behavior. I don't know. That's not a simple message, but did, what, what did you get out of that? I think that's, in, it's incredibly powerful, actually. Uh, I think what you just said there for me is revelatory and it really comes uh, from a place of service. If, if you're a manager, if you can view yourself how can I help my people? If, if you take that perspective and then you develop your own skills and abilities to help them better, then a lot of these problems may just go away. You know, all of these uh, issues where you have the negative behavior uh, for uh, being rewarded, uh, right. so on and so forth. Yeah, so I think that's a, I think that's a really, really powerful message, Spencer. And I really appreciate you sharing that. It's helped me. So it's opened my eyes and I'm sure you can help many, many other people. If our listeners, others want to learn more about how they can build these skills so that they can manage their teams more effectively, what's the best way for them to reach out and, and uh, contact you and learn more. Gosh, man, you, you go to, go to my website and you can chat me there. Altiumleadership.com send me an email, Spencer at, at altmleadership.com. There's a whole coaching methodology. And I'm not talking about coaching like an executive coach. I'm talking about coaching your people to hold them accountable. And, and I wish we had time to actually talk about that today. Um, because that's, that's where the, the, the real strength of, uh, of this holding people accountable for bad behavior creating consequences. And it's not what you think. 
people will hold themselves accountable if you, if you help them. And that's where the skill development is. And that's what I can teach you how to do. Um, so yeah, so reach out to me and uh, Christian. So how, how do people find you? Well, before I get into that, I would just say, I think we need to talk about that on another podcast, Spencer, because I find this topic fascinating. Yep. People can find me at uh, my website, gp4.com. That's gpfour.com. Or you can email me at cnapier at gp4.com or look me up on LinkedIn. Spencer, as always, it's been a joy. Thank you so much. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast and we'll talk to you again soon. 